Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. You know, we have good friends over in Ireland and they put us in touch with one of the coolest people. His name is Dacre Stoker. Recognize that last name? Tell us, you're like a nephew, right? Is it a grand-grand-nephew? Is that right? A great-grand-nephew? Yeah, Steve. Yeah, Bram was one of seven children, and his youngest brother, George Stoker, was my great-grandfather. So that makes me the great-grand-nephew of Bram Stoker. And it's got to be cool to be connected with Bram, because Dracula is one of these characters that has gone through history, and people never get tired of it. It it doesn't seem uh, ancient, whatever. In fact, it always seems like somebody's taking kind of a new take on it. Is that fun for you? It it is. You know, we call it the reimagining of Bram's creation. Um, and, and, you know, people look at me and go, oh, what do you think of that latest movie? It's nothing like Bram's book. But I say, no, no, wait a sec. If everything was faithful to Bram's book, we'd be a little bit bored with it. <laughs> and I think there's nothing better. And same with my family members, you know, thinking that this is something that Bram Stoker created in 1897. So 123 years ago, he created something that changed the world and is reimagined. It inspires writers. Uh, screenwriters, producers, directors, people that make toys, marketing guys, they, they slap Dracula on everything. And, you know, it's in public domain, so that's all cool. But it's just this personification of the vampire. Of course, there's many, you know, vampires in, in, in myths and so on. But Bram's vampire is the one that we all identify with, especially around Halloween. I was thinking when all the Twilight stuff happened here, there was a certain excitement and again, it all goes back to Dracula, right? I mean, that really is where all that comes from, and people just can't get enough of it. You're, you're right, and, and Twilight was a perfect example. You know, there was there was your kind of ugly, gnarly vampires for many years. You know, Bela Lugosi wasn't an ugly guy, neither was Christopher Lee. But, you know, they, they took the ugly, gnarly guy with bad breath and, and, and hairy palms that Bram created and morphed him onto the stage— and that's why we see the Lugosi as a personification, Christopher Lee, Gary Oldman. But when Twilight came along, it did something really different. It, it shot off in a whole other direction. It sort of brought the vampire to these young, attractive, you know, teenagers and young adults. And that opened up the door to, you know, a whole other genre, which was sort of this paranormal romance where the vampires were, you know, trying to jump into bed with each other as much as they were trying to drink each other's blood. <laughs> well, and again, it's nothing new. If you think about it, all the old Abbott and Costello thing meets Dracula. It, it just, whether it's comedy, it, and I, I guess that really speaks to really creating a character that transcends time. That, that interest in Dracula just has never wavered. And, you know, we've gone through a you know, hundred and some odd years since then. Yeah, and, and you know, Steve, what I like to look at when, when I, you know, Kenny, touch on this subject, is that the vampire actually originated in something real. It was, it was the real concerns of people in the Middle Ages, the myths that were created to answer questions that religion could not answer at that time. And that is all these 
uh, contagious diseases running through different parts of the world, the plagues, uh, cholera, scarlet fever, rheumatic fever. People didn't understand how from one person to another these germs were passed on and then killing folks. And so religion certainly couldn't answer that question. You know, oh, it was God's way. You know, after a while that got tired, and people wanted answers. So they kind of look at the dark side, and that is superstition. And it, as soon as they could get some sort of an answer, oh, now we need a ritual, okay? The ritual of staking these things into the ground came out of looking at digging up a body that they thought was some com- coming out of the ground and sucking the life out of the other guys in the village. They found the body bloated and this red stuff around their face. And they jumped to the wrong conclusion that this was a vampire coming out of the grave drinking blood. They didn't understand biological decomposition. They didn't understand bloating. So, oh, let's keep this guy in the ground, stake him in the ground, or cut his head off. Or So all these kind of old, interesting traditions get picked up by authors who do their research, like Bram Stoker and others, and they resonate through many different generations. So this is a story you and I know, Steve, hopefully you know, yes. <laughs> this stuff is not real. <laughs> yes. But it's based, it's based on reality, and therefore it just... It sits there and resonates in people's minds like, ah, maybe, just maybe people know something that I don't know. Yeah, obviously it's been turned into fiction and so forth, but it comes from that basic fear of the unknown. So we go ahead and answer ourselves, and sometimes we do it, I think, because we like kind of scaring ourselves a bit, too. We don't don't know how to answer it, so we'll come up with something like that. That, That's it. And, and, you know, the question... Probably, you know, at least in our lifetime, Steve, it'll never be answered. What really happens to our soul after our body, mortal body dies? And that's one of these things that keeps nagging everybody. And once this whole thing of vampirism and the immortality pop up, like, oh, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a bit of that. Well, that's <laughs> kind of cool. And then you add in the sort of sexuality of it that, you know, Bela Lugosi and Christopher Lee and Gary Oldman and then all these other Draculas bring into it. They say, well, it's not a bad gig, but it's still, you know, this whole idea after life. And I've studied these rituals in Transylvania and, and where Bram got his information. And it's all about making sure that the soul is at rest, rests at peace. And if it doesn't, for whatever reason, you're not mourning properly, there's revenge involved, or it's a cautionary tale then that soul is going to come out in one way or another, either physically like a vampire or just sort of in the, in the mindset and set you straight like the living better, better behave better. You, otherwise, something bad's going to happen to you. Worst is you're going to get your blood sucked and you're going to become another vampire, which may not be that bad after all. In the late 1800s, you know, Houdini was big into the whole seance thing. Arthur Conan Doyle, Mark Twain was a neighbor of Bram Stoker's. They bought into this stuff. You know, what happens to our spirit? What happens to the soul? Is that As long as we can't really scientifically prove one way or the other, the possibility exists, and that's what makes great storytelling and great opportunities for people like Bram and myself when I follow in his footsteps a little bit with my prequel and sequel to Dracula. You know, it just makes that slight willful suspension of disbelief out there, and the readers generally tend to love it. Well, let's talk a lot about that, because you do have some books. You can find them on the, all over the web and so forth. And you have your own website, too, don't you, as I recall? I, I do. It's D- dakerstoker.com. It tells about me and things I do, but I actually sell the books at bramstokerestate.com. Um, the, the prequel to Dracula, 
uh, has came out a couple of years ago. It, it came out to great reviews, and it was the number one horror hardcover in all of the U.K., and that was written with J.D. Barker, and that's Bram's life, somewhat fictionalized, writing Dracula as a warning to the world that Dracula was real. And yeah. then I wrote a sequel, a continuation to Dracula with Ian Holt uh, quite a few years ago, and that's done very well. It's actually an international bestseller called Dracula the Undead, yeah. um, which picks up the action. If you remember, the novel Dracula ends in a very strange way. Dracula is knifed, staked in the heart with a knife, not a wooden stake, and yet he crumbles into dust. So Just is he before, really gone? <laughs> is he really gone? And so Ian and I thought, well, let's play with this, as authors do. What if? He comes back sometime, and what if, as we know, Mina has a child, and now the child's 25 years old, and he's trying to find out what the heck happened in his family and, and why all those band of heroes that did the amazing job to get Chase Dracula back, why are they all kind of messed up right now in their lives? What's happened to them? Well, you did get great reviews on both books, and I think... That's got to be important to you because having that same last name and so forth, a little extra responsibility. It's not just, hey, I got an idea. I want to pick up on this theme. Uh, you've got the family heritage in your hands there. You're right. There, you know, I have to admit, the name Stoker does open doors when I want to talk to publishers or, or you know, people who want to turn it into a movie. But at the same time, there's big shoes to fill because if the product isn't any good, then they're just going to laugh at you and say you're trying to ride the coattails uh, of your famous relative. So, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, you've got to live up to something. You've got to produce a good product. And, and luckily, I've had some good co-writers to help me and, you know, have had some success. I'm actually doing some cool stuff nowadays. I'm actually turning some of Bram Stoker's graphic novels, excuse me, his short stories into graphic novels. Because oh, cool I've discovered there's some very cool short stories out there, and they haven't had great circulation. But nowadays, you know, Steve, I don't know if you read graphic novels at all, but people love the visual these days. Oh, yeah. And uh, I found a guy, Chris McCauley, an Irish guy, and an artist, Jessica Martin, in the, in the UK. And we're collaborating together along with Andrews Publishing in the next two years to bring six of these stories back to life and a couple of our own original stories, one in particular – I know Bram Stoker was told by his mother when he was ill, and, it, and it's a story of her surviving a cholera epidemic, a pandemic, just like what's, what's going on now, in 1832, and all, nobody knew how it was, was caused, nobody knew how it was, has passed on. People were dying. They were being buried prematurely because of misdiagnosis. And that story, the Charlotte Stoker cholera story, is going to be is going to come out in the next year in a graphic novel, and it's part of the basis for Bram's understanding and his motivation for writing Dracula. That is so cool. We're going to be on top of that. In fact, we'll get you on again to talk about that when that's released. That's going to be really exciting. Last question: I wanted to ask you. Now, you and your wife uh, live in South Carolina. We're happy to have you here in the states. You come from Canada and so forth, and of course, Bram's back from Ireland. But you manage your job, one of your jobs, besides writing, so is managing the Bram Stoker estate. What's that like? Because I'm thinking, on the one hand, there's all this interest in there, but on the other hand, I read something where you said, hey, we're not making, we're not rich off this thing. Don't, don't get the wrong idea. You know, it's, it's something, we love doing it, but, it, but it's not like you're, you're sitting on top of a gold mine on this. No, no, you're right, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, because whenever I sort of initiate a project on behalf of the Bram Stoker estate, 
you got to realize all the money that was made on Dracula, Dracula films, all that stuff, that's long gone. And I'm only an indirect descendant. So it actually went to Bram's widow and then his son and then the surviving people in his branch, the family. And there are some great grandsons still alive, but they're, they're not you know, really into the literary thing as much. They, they've asked me and my wife to help manage it, to try to protect Bram's, uh, his image, his intellectual property. We try to, you know, find deals and license things like, you know, like things like board games, or we actually did a, um, an iPad family version of the, of, of the book Dracula. Uh, we've got out a Bram Stoker bobblehead, you know, a nice writing pen. So we're trying to, we try to license things that are, uh, appropriate for for what you would expect um, Bram Stoker to be associated with, um, but at the same time, you, you know, it's uh, like we're trying to reinvent what legacy Bram left behind because any of the funds or any of the else things in the movies, those are all controlled by movie studios and so on. So we're just trying to kind of get Bram out there into the into the. Uh, popular culture as Bram, the creator of Dracula, not so much, you know, just Dracula itself, because that takes care of itself. No, I agree with you, and I think you want to do that too, because you want to have put people to know there's a place to go where you can find the original thing, because I would think there's always that problem that you get on these type of things, where somebody takes a basic concept, and by the time years pass, decades pass, uh, it's a completely different figure than what was originally entailed. That, that's that's a great point, and I like to focus folks back to the BramStokerEstate.com website because they say, "Here's the truth. Here are the details we know. Here's the you know certain biographies have got it right, certain biographies got it wrong. Here's here's from the horse's mouth. And if you want actual information, we spend a lot of time helping people who who are putting on documentaries about horror or or Bram himself or Dracula's, and and we, we put you know we try to contribute to promote his legacy." protect his legacy, and keep him in the forefront of people's minds, especially around Halloween. Absolutely. Let's give him that website one more time, please. Yes, it is bramstokerestate.com. We will check that out. And, of course, don't forget to go to ireland.com, a great site. And they brought us uh, Dacre today. Dacre, thank you so much. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Best of luck. Well, I, I've got to say one more quick thing because i got to plug the Irish. I mean, they have done a wonderful thing. So remember, Ireland, home of Halloween, there was definitely a connection between Bram Stoker, the stories that, you know, are typical of this time of the year in Ireland, all the great superstitions of their own, the banshees, the fairies, the changelings, all that stuff influenced Bram as a little kid. And that, you know, gave him this fertile, dark sense of imagination as he you know, got, went on his life and later on wrote Dracula. Yeah, so maybe a visit to your website and then coupled with an eventual trip to Ireland, people can go out and see where he lived and so forth and kind of get a feel for that whole, because you're right, and I'm glad you brought that up. It really was a great place. I mean, it inspired him for this great writing. It, it, and it, listen, Dublin was the city, a UNESCO city of literature. He, he follows a long line of very famous authors and, um, you know, I'm really happy that he's, he's being um, honored this time of the year. There's a wonderful Bram Stoker Festival that, that runs at, around Halloween in Dublin. I think it's been eight years now. I've been over the last few years giving my talks there. But it shows that the city gets so inspired by, by literature, you know, Joyce and Yeats and Jonathan Swift, 
but now also Bram Stoker joins those ranks. And it's, and it's a fun family kind of um, va- uh, vacation place to go and see the Bram Stoker Festival. And when I get there, I love to you know, go to the, the, the Marshes Library to see where Bram actually studied. Trinity College, where he went to school. Dublin Writers Museum. And there's a wonderful uh, Castle Dracula, which is sort of an amusement uh, horror house, but with a real historical twist outside the town in Clontarf, right across the, the, the street where Bram Stoker was born and spent the first few years of his life. Well, thank you, Dake. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, thanks for having me. Take care. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. That's 800-296-1337. Hi, this is Dr. Annette of The Dr. Annette Show. We've been talking today about COVID-19 and steps you can take to possibly prevent or mitigate infection. Silver and zinc have been used for centuries as disinfectants and as antimicrobials. We're offering you this special discount to make it easier and more affordable to get these essential silver and zinc liquid mineral supplements. Visit our website at www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Once again, that's www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Professional line not included. We are all in this together and we can get through this. Learn more at elementalresearchinc.com and use the promo code VEGAS20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.